Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. The teacher points toward the moon. The student must first learn to look at the moon and not the finger. Bill J said that and it's certainly something I subscribe to. It's that time of the year when education comes to the end, the end of the academic year, and for many students, the end of their higher education. Degree shows abound, both online this year and some in person, so it seems like an appropriate time to talk about education. Formal photographic education, informal education, and unintentional education. But let's kick off, shall we, this week, and it seems appropriate to kick off during the Euros, uh, what is its purpose? What is the purpose of formal photographic education? Now, don't turn off because this does not directly relate to you. I think there's something for all in what I'm about to say. I certainly hope so. So, the idea of studying photography in my mind, and I can only speak about this from a personal perspective, but as also an educator, is not to become a photographer. There you go. I've said it. What a shock. No, it is not to become a photographer. It's to understand photography as a mass communication language, as a tool for communication as a way of creating visual languages, and therefore as a skill that makes students incredibly employable across the creative industries. Some of you who maybe had a photographic education that was very much focused on the idea of starting with the darkroom and working your way through the process of photography and understanding photography to become a photographer might find what I'm saying to be slightly either strange or heretical, or perhaps also misinformed. So let me explain. Today, as we discuss on this podcast every week, it is important as a photographer to have transferable skills outside of the photographic capture. I myself have had to teach myself how to make this podcast. Writing is important, applying for bids and for grants and for competitions, if you have to apply for those. Marketing, building your website, perhaps getting involved in publishing work, creating Kickstarters, perhaps moving into moving image. All of these elements are key to the photographic practice of a 21st photographer, 21st century photographer, I should say, today. Therefore, the studying of photography is not just about being a photographer. It's much, much broader than that, or at least it should be broader than that, in my opinion. The course I lead at Oxford Brooks deals in great depth with social media. It deals with moving image. It deals with the idea of presentation and writing. Because the people who come in and teach are engaged with those processes as part of their broader practices as photographers or people within the creative industries. You may have just heard next door's dog there in the background. He hasn't joined the podcast for a few uh, months, has he? Let's hope he doesn't join us again. Anyway, back to the idea of learning. Every single day, obviously, we learn. We look to learn. 
We should be reading, listening to podcasts, watching films, watching YouTube clips, getting involved in debates and discussions, perhaps forums and groups. All of this informal learning is intrinsic again to us as photographers. But all of that learning is outside of the photographic practice itself. This is something that I think formal education sometimes struggles with. That understanding of how to actually get people engaged with the idea that without that learning, without that research, without that interest, that engagement in the world that surrounds us, we don't have anything to photograph. We don't have stories to tell. We don't understand what we're trying to communicate with our images. So in that case, it can be no surprise that some of that communication either becomes stalted or projects don't come to fruition because the initial intention at the beginning of that work of understanding, of learning, wasn't there. So I suppose really what we're talking about here is three different areas of learning and engagement that have got absolutely nothing really to do with photography, but have absolutely everything to do with photography. And just by going back through the archive of the incredible photographers who've contributed to this podcast, explaining what photography means to them, we can clearly see the importance of those external influences on that little box that we hold in our hands and the images that we create from it. So I suppose really what I'm saying is it may be the end of the academic year, but of course learning doesn't end. It may be the time when students put up degree shows of their work but we should not, I believe, be judging them as photographers. What we should be doing is judging them as people engaged with photography. And that is a much broader, broader spectrum. And I think it's more about where we are today and where we're going to be tomorrow than where we were yesterday. So although we're coming to the end, of course, we're not for those students leaving at this point. They're just beginning their careers. They're not ending their engagement with photography. I hope that they've been given the skills, those transferable skills, the passion, the engagement to continue with their studies independently when they're having to self-initiate work. Because we all know as photographers, that is the reality of being a photographer. There's nobody there telling you what to do. You've got to work it out for yourself. There's no one there telling you what stories to do outside of a commission. You've got to work out that impetus and those stories for yourself. That comes from reading, it comes from listening, and it comes from talking. And those three elements, perhaps, are the most important aspects of any professional photographer. This week, we welcome to the podcast a photographer who I've known of for many years, but sadly, for some reason, never commissioned. I have absolutely no idea why it never happened, but it didn't. Anyway, suffice to say, he's with us this week. Who am I talking about? Well, it's Harry Borden, a British portrait photographer based in London, born in New York and brought up in Devon. He studied photography at Plymouth College of Art and Design from 1985 to 1987. 
and moved to London shortly afterwards, where he worked as an assistant for the photographer Lester Bookbinder. Borden received his first commission from the Observer magazine in 1994, and as his profile grew, his portraits appeared regularly in this magazine and other Sunday supplements, as well as magazines such as Harper's and Queen, Vogue and The New Yorker. Borden was awarded the Cobalt Photographic Portrait Prize in 1998 and 2000 and World Press Photo Awards in 1997 and 1999. In 2005, he had his first solo exhibition at the National Portrait Gallery London titled Harry Borden on Business. The National Portrait Gallery holds more than 100 examples of Borden's work in its photographic collection and in 2014 he was awarded an honorary fellowship of the Royal Photographic Society. In 2017, his book Survivor, A Portrait of the Survivors of the Holocaust was published, having been shortlisted for the European Publishers Award for Photography and in 2014 judged among the 10 best photography books of 2018 by the Krasner Krauts Foundation. His second book, Single Dad, was published in 2021. Photography has meant different things to me at different times in my life. As a boy, it was the catalyst to a friendship that lasted 35 years. Mark got me into photography. When we were about 14, he proudly showed me a little box of slides shot with his Cosina camera. As we held the transparencies up to the light, a fuse was lit and it wasn't long before we were both in Exeter buying my first camera. At school, a picture I'd taken of Tower Bridge won a prize in a photo competition. It felt good. I had my thing. My American father had been an ad man in New York and then London. In the 70s, my parents bizarrely decided to buy a farm. Although he would joke about being the only New York Jewish pig farmer in Devon, I think the move exacerbated a depression that was always there. A somewhat malign presence, our relationship was competitive. When I told him I hoped to join Mark at Plymouth College of Art and Design to study photography, he sneered, You ain't got what it takes to be a photographer. Get a job in a camera shop. We went through my pictures together, but I decided to choose the images for the submission myself. I got in. Initially, there was more swimming in the sea and snooker on Union Street than photography, but at some point I went to the art centre to see Martin Parr's The Last Resort. I can remember the impact and clarity of those images now. I also discovered Avedon, Penn, and most of all, Diane Arbus. I realised I loved taking pictures of people marrying technique with intimacy. The spark was now aflame. A somewhat narcissistic young man. I'd always felt different. Photography helped solidify that brittle cocky bravado into a positive sense of who I could be. After college, Mark and I both saw an ad in the Express and Echo. An Exeter studio was looking for an assistant. The job paid £269 per month, a paltry amount even in 1987. We were the only two applicants and we passed each other in near silence on the day of the interview. Fortunately, our friendship survived me getting the job, but it didn't last long. Lester Bookbinder, an iconic name in advertising photography, came to visit my dad. As I showed him my work, he told me bluntly I had to be in London. He gave me a list of people to ring and in no time I was in the city. Although I make a great cup of tea, I was a terrible assistant. I found it hard to sublimate my now raging ambition. I worked hard, but my head was in the clouds. On a Timotei commercial, 
I was entrusted with Russia's transport. After a long day, I drive the exposed film from Mid Wales to Technicolor in West London. In my exuberance, I crashed and wrote off a hire car a few miles from the shoot location. I wasn't asked back. I had no real option but to go it alone. I'd cycle round London, a heavy aluminium portfolio case precariously balanced on my handlebars, standing in Smith's, so many magazines and every picture credit a potential commission. The enemy was the first to give me a chance. An early shoot was Tom Petty, the writer observed that I was making progress, having shot my first transatlantic star. I was 23. Pivotal relationships were key, and just as important as talent. A community of individuals helped me slowly climb the competitive hierarchy of the magazine world. By the millennium, I'd had commissions from Vogue, The New Yorker, shot covers for time. I'd won a couple of World Press Awards and joined an agency with other photographers I admired. I had a young family and being a photographer gave me structure, routine and financial security. It's fun making portraits of the famous. You feel part of a cultural zeitgeist. But I began to feel it was incumbent on me to use my skills to a more intelligent end. In parallel with the commissions, I started to do projects that enriched my life in a more long-term way, a deferred gratification. I'd start by asking myself two questions. How do I feel about this subject? And what am I trying to say? In 2007, I embarked upon the venture that became Survivor, a portrait of the survivors of the Holocaust, published 10 years later on Memorial Day. The subject made obvious historical sense, but it was also an exploration of my half-Jewish identity and probably an attempt to get my father's approval. He found it hard to compliment the book, but I'm glad he got to see it before he died. I confronted fatherhood directly in my second book, Single Dad, which is out this year. Doing this self-initiated work has given me such joy. I gave one of the first copies of Survivor to Mark. I wrote in the book that I wouldn't have been a photographer without him. The following year, his persistent indigestion turned out to be esophageal cancer. He lived alone, and I was among a small group of people who took him for radio and chemotherapy. When I suggested using my camera to record him talking about his life, he liked the idea of living on virtually, filming an amusing distraction from what we both knew was coming. Mark died in 2018. Photography had brought us together, and at the end, things had come full circle as once again we were two teenage boys messing around with a camera. Thank you, Harry, for your contribution this week. I never cease to be amazed at the honesty and the rawness and the passion and the emotion that those who contribute to this strand bring each week. Um, It's very difficult to comment on something like what Harry has produced there. It feels to me like a complete piece But I do want to just reflect on the fact that uh, it was nice that uh, he took me back to those days as an art director when photographers used to turn up with those incredibly heavy metal cases, foam-filled, quite often with their prints laminated like cheap restaurant uh, dinner mats. Uh, That seems so long ago now, so it's interesting to be taken back to that. But... Harry really picking up on so many of the threads that I was talking about there at the beginning about being a photographer and that interest in subject matter, but that subject matter being so close to who you are. This is something I often talk about with students. And 
it's something that I often talk about with photographers who find themselves a little bit stuck as to where their photography is going and why they're even doing it. I think what Harry's saying there is the reason why we do it, and it's the thing I always say, is because it's a form of an expression of who we are and the life experiences we've had. Last week, we were hearing about another sort of search for identity with Jason Langer's work in Israel, a Jewish identity, and then Harry again exploring something similar with his um, Holocaust work. I do own that book, and I highly recommend it to anybody who has even the tiniest element of empathy in their body, because I think really that's what we're talking about there is an empathetic approach to storytelling. Anyway, uh, really great to um, hear from Harry. I really thank him for such an an honest, emotional, powerful and impactful contribution. It is incredible, isn't it, how much you can fit into just five minutes, how far it can take you within yourself and also how far you can take other people on a journey that you've actually been on also. Anyway, that's pretty much tying up for the end of uh, this week's episode. Uh, I do recommend that you check out our weekly newsletter that goes out every Wednesday, uh, alerting you that this podcast is alive and well and ready for you every week and also updating you on new articles. And I'm I'm writing roughly two articles, one or two a week at the moment. I don't know why I seem to be on a, a bit of a rich form for that. So keep an eye on that uh, at some point. You can sign up to that podcast uh, newsletter, that weekly newsletter, through review. And that's R-E-V-U-E. Also, don't forget that the book is still on sale, What Does Photography Mean to You?, with uh, contributions from previous photographers answering that specific question. Available $9.99 plus post and packing from www.bluecoatpress.co.uk. Just leaves me to remind you that we're in the shed every week. If you weren't aware of that, it's not just a podcast, it's a shedcast. Uh, The rain is pitter-pattering on the roof today. And we had the neighbour's dog uh, reappear. So I know that all is well and good with the world. Just leaves me to say, take care.